we get to experience that which we prioritize. Is there something you dream of doing but you haven't committed the time or the effort to making it happen? We're all working to pay bills and meet goals in our careers. With these parts of our life front and center, it's often easy to forget to go out and just live life. We forget to make fun and seeking joy the priority that it should be. Then something happens that snaps us out of it. Maybe a colleague goes on vacation, a friend posts a picture from a weekend camping, and you think, geez, I wish I could do that. I want you to know that you can do that, but again, we get to experience that which we prioritize. Think of the thing you wanna go do, but you just keep putting off. Maybe you think you don't have the time, maybe you haven't set aside the money, or maybe you simply don't have the discipline to work out the logistics required to go plan that experience. That's the sound of the waterfalls in Supai, Arizona. For me, this was the thing I wanted to do but could just never quite make happen until I decided making it happen would be worth the time, money, and planning that this adventure calls for. I had so many questions and trying to answer them actually felt paralyzing to me. Where do I stay the night before I camp? How do I get a permit? I have to backpack 10 miles? I've never backpacked. How do I train for that? I have no gear. Where do I get that? What do I get? What do I do if I can't just go buy a meal? There were a million questions that could have sent my anxiety soaring and kept me from having this trip of a lifetime. But I made experiencing Havasupai my priority in 2018. I honestly had to become a different version of myself. I had to become a better planner. I had to become more brave. I had to be vulnerable enough to risk looking like a total idiot when asking questions about backpacking and even camping, something I never did and did for the first time in Havasupai at 29 years old. If you've never heard of Havasupai, it's an Indian reservation near the Grand Canyon in Northern Arizona. It's one of the most beautiful and desirable destinations on the whole planet. Every February, adventurers hit refresh a million times on the reservation site in hopes of scoring a spot at the campgrounds. Getting that permit online is like winning the lottery because you absolutely cannot go without one. The hike into the Havasupai campground is 10 miles from the hilltop where you park your car and then you go all the way down. From switchbacks to hiking through sand and getting your body absolutely beat up by a heavy backpack, this hike will make you work for the majestic views of Havasu Falls. But it is so worth it. For this episode, I'll be joined by Debbie Hendricks, who owns Just Roughin' It Adventure Company in Scottsdale, Arizona. If it weren't for Debbie and her husband, Ray, I could not have had this experience. They empowered me with knowledge and gear. And now I hope Debbie can do the same for you. Now we want to welcome Debbie Hendricks, co-owner of Just Roughin' It. Debbie, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So you are, in my opinion, Arizona's greatest expert on Havasupai because when you were able to, you offered tours into the area. So tell me a little bit, first off, about the history of providing tours in Arizona and now your store, Just Roughin' It. Well, we started offering tours in 2006, so we had been doing it for 12 years, started in Grand Canyon and Havasupai exclusively. Um, then we expanded to all of Arizona, Superstition Mountains, Priya Canyon, Aravipa Canyon, Tucson area, and then, we and then we expanded into Yosemite and then Olympic. So you are no longer able to provide tours into Havasupai, but you guys still do classes at your shop, right? Right, right correct. So we, we still 
provide guidance. We just do not guide at all anymore. And then tell us a little bit about the store. I think it's an absolute gem in Arizona. It's right off the 101 and Shea. And you guys really provide anything people need for a great adventure. What inspired you to find the store? Well, we wanted to tailor ourselves more towards people who really want to learn and then get out on their own and make it more of a life decision versus just going out on a bucket list type trip, one and done. So we like to have people who come in who really want to explore and find their own adventures and not just go to the places that everybody else is going to. I love that. But one of the places that everybody (laughs) wants to go to is Havasupai, of course. So how many people do you get on the phone and walking into the store asking about this particular adventure? Um, Havasupai is really not that bad. We still have people who think that they can just get permits from other people. Um, I would say maybe weekly we have probably one or two people. It's going to be more during our busier seasons, obviously, when all the tourists are here. But right now, it's kind of waned just because population has waned overall. That makes sense. So it's kind of a slower season because it's very, very hot in Arizona right now. So what is it about Havasupai? I mean, obviously, it's gorgeous. It has the blue-green water. But in your personal opinion, what is special about Havasupai? Um. I'm, for me, it's not really the waterfalls. It's the area in general. So my background is actually in history as well. So I am a historian and I'm all but a dissertation away from a history PhD. But so a lot of it for me is the culture and the history of the area, which a lot of people do miss when they go down there. And I don't think a lot of people probably care to know about it because one of the big things I hear from people is complaining about the rules and regulations down at Havasupai. And there's a reason for all those rules and regulations in general. But um, I just love the culture in general. The area is beautiful, but just the history of the whole area is pretty amazing to me. Tell us a little bit more about that history because, yeah, you're right. Most of us don't know about it. I mean, it is an Indian reservation and it's surrounded by national park land, the Grand Canyon, of course. But beyond that, I don't think most people know much. Right. So the Havasupai tribe owned all of Grand Canyon at one point in time. So the national park, as we know it, was belonged to Havasupai. Um, There's a lot of sordid histories, as we know, when it comes to Indian tribes in general throughout the United States. But this was an area until the 70s that the, the waterfalls as we know them did not belong to the tribe, so to speak. They were on a postage stamp of a piece of property until one of the residents of Havasupai reached out to Barry Goldwater because um, Morris Udall wanted to appropriate all the land and give it to the National Park. And this woman went to um, Barry Goldwater and and appealed to keep that land as theirs, and they won their appeal. They were able to keep it as theirs. However, part of that appeal included tourism. So they still had to allow tourism into the area. And now they have one of the hottest permits in all of adventuring. Everyone wants to get their hands on this permit. And we've been talking a little bit about some of the benefits of permits before we started recording. And it's good for the environment and it makes it safer Mm -hmm. for people when they go down there. So they allow 350 permits a day. Tell me a little bit more about the significance of not just have a suit by, but in general, places requiring a permit. So it, it protects, it obviously controls demand. So there's always going to de- be demand. For have a supai in general, it also brings in a lot of needed money. It, it, that is their economy. 
is the permitting system, um, or at least the tourism that goes into Havasupai. But it, it's going to protect their culture. It protects cultural, natural, environmental resources. So if you have too many people in one place, you're going to have issues. If you have a house party and you fill up your trash can for your for one in one day it still takes a week for someone to clean all that up Mm -hmm. so i mean you you only have so many resources so if you have 350 people going through and leaving their trash imagine if you had a thousand down there at one time so as we know even when the government shut down this year um it's places got overused Mm -hmm. in a matter of a month so even a place like Joshua Tree, they're saying it could take 30, try 300 years for them to get back what was lost. Wow. Now, also from the safety perspective, I mean, Mooney Falls, one of the waterfalls that everyone wants to go see when you go to Havasupai, the hike down to that, if you can even call it that, it's more of a climb mm-hmm. on the ladders and the chains, and it's covered in mist from the waterfall. And you have to go down this to not just get to Mooney, but also to Beaver Falls. And then you also have to take that if you want to get to the confluence. I don't want a lot of people on that with me because I've done Angel's Landing, I've done Stairway to Heaven, and now I've done Half Dome. And I think Mooney Falls is the most terrifying hike I've ever done because the the ladders move, the chains are wet, I'm short, I have little legs. There were portions of that where I'm holding onto these slippery chains and I had to just let myself drop. And I don't want that to be crowded, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's and there's no also that. that tunnel that you're sitting in yes. waiting for people. And there have been times where people are hanging out at the bottom. Either someone gets scared and you're stuck in a tunnel. So if you're afraid of heights and claustrophobic, you're in you're in a world of hurt. <laughs> so permits are a good thing. And on this podcast, by the way, I will never talk about a place that isn't regulated. Somewhere that I've discovered on my own that is rugged and is not regulated, I'm not going to share because I don't want them to become places that are overpopulated and that then do have some sort of crisis in their ecosystem because they're not properly regulated. Now, logistically, have a suit by reservations. It plays out like this. On February 1st, everybody goes on their website, have a suit by reservations.com and crashes their website. So last year I was successful. I was able to get a permit on that day. This year, Nope. Me and my best friend were both sitting there. Um, we had another friend on the phone. We were all trying. We did not get through. Um, we could not even get the website to work. So we did not get permits this year. But, you know, people do. And it's $100 per person per weekday night, $125 per person per weekend night. And all of the reservations are now a three night, four day stay. And also new in 2019, this is really exciting campground reservations are now officially transferable. So Mm -hmm. if somebody cancels, they can post their permit and, you know, you don't have to like put it on Craigslist or something. It's all regulated through havasupbyreservations.com. So I actually have that page bookmarked at the top of my browser because I like to check it every, every so often and see if maybe it's the perfect time for me to go to Havasupai when someone else cancels their trip. So That's obviously a great way to get a permit if you didn't get it on February 1st. But do you have any advice, not necessarily even just for Havasupai, but in general, on getting permits? Are there any hacks, any tips, any ways you would recommend we prepare? Well, the way every place you go that requires permits has a different process. So even the National Park Service, every park 
within the National Park Service has a different means to getting permits. So back to have a soup really quick. The only other piece of advice I can give in the way it's working right now, aside from getting that cancellation, is avoid spring break time. So if you try not to go March, April, and May and just push straight into fall, you have a much better shot at getting it. Okay. And then fall, you're not in monsoon either because I always get worried. I mean, I'm a weather forecaster. So <laughs> June 15th through September 30th is a, is a no-go for me. I'm not going to go during the monsoon. Not saying you wouldn't run into flood situations, but... I just wouldn't want to go and during I the monsoon. And I can say, when it comes to Havasupai in general, they do actually have a very good flood alert. I do okay. not know of... We had trips down there during flash flooding. Um, I It's from any recent memory, I have not heard of anybody dying in a flash flood. So they do have a fantastic flood alert system That's really there. good to know. Now... About the permit, yeah, I mean, I just hiked Half Dome last week, which that'll be an upcoming episode as well. But for me, when it comes to getting a permit, I I actually had to become a different version of myself when I decided I wanted to be an adventurer. And the first time that I really experienced that was for my Have a Soup I trip, and that's actually how we met. But I used to not be a good planner. And as soon as I started wanting to do these things, I realized I was going to have to become a better version of myself when it came to planning. And I am so vigilant about researching and learning to the point that to get my half dome permit, I did the preseason lottery Mm -hmm. and that took research to figure out that I did not get it. I decided to go to Yosemite anyways. And I called ahead of time and I said, okay, I want to, I want you to take me step by step how am I going to know that I'm doing this right? And I would talk to one of the people with recreation.gov. I talked to someone else with the actual park and they're like, okay, it's going to look like this on the site. This is what you're going to do. You want to do it two days before. And it really required me to be more organized than I ever have been about anything else in my entire life. But you're right. Every situation is different. Mm -hmm. And there's usually a phone number. Just call and ask. And, well, and sometimes you're going to sound dumb, exactly. and that's okay. And I can also say this about, so like really quick about Half Dome, they always have walk-up permits. And even for if you are really dying to go to Half Dome, which is probably not a great choice of words, <laughs> um, you can still go up Half Dome also with a backcountry permit. So you can choose to backpack in and camp. And the backcountry has an allotment of permits separate from the day. And you mm. actually don't go through the same permitting process for the day hikes that you do for a Half Dome permit to go on a backpacking trip. So those are also options too. For, Grand, say, Grand Canyon National Park, and we'll just talk about these are the most used parks. Have a or sorry, not have a supai. Yosemite. Um, Yosemite and Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon's number two next to um, below um, the Smoky Mountain, the okay. Great Smokies. Yeah. So Grand Canyon sees over 5 million visitors a year. That's obviously not people who get permits, but Grand Canyon still is facts in five months in advance. Wow. So if you want to go in October, you had to fax your permit in by five o'clock on June 1st, and it is a lottery. And they will get about 2,000 requests. The majority will be for rim-to-rim, people wanting to do the rim-to-rim route. So in that per- in that permit process, it being that you're in the most popular area in Grand Canyon for, say, a rim-to-rim route, you still have to have a permit for the less popular places, too. So you can get into Grand Canyon, camp below the rim, if you're willing to do something that's more off the beaten path, more challenging, or in sometimes considerably more challenging, um, and in my opinion, much, much 
better and oh, yeah. something you I appreciate be, so much more. I love people. My job is communicating with people. But when I am adventuring, I want to be where the people aren't. Oh, this is why we also don't guide you. There's a long list of why I don't like yeah. guiding. <laughs> it's funny because when I hiked Half Dome, you know, I had this incredibly like, I don't know, this might sound weird, but like intimate experience with the park. Like... <laughs> Until it was just me and the, around you. It was like <laughs> mostly just me in the park and then like some other people that I would run into along the way. And then I got down to like the last two miles. And I mean, I was in crowds like I was on Main Street at Disneyland. So, and I was like, where am I? And had I experienced that the entire time, I wouldn't have enjoyed I kid you that not. park. So on the Mist Trail, I was on there once. Which, by the way, there, I thought I was going to die on the Mist there Trail. There was a woman on a Segway. No. Because it's paved. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I cannot it, it's, believe that. Yeah, it's it's insanity. But no, if I know that I'm, if someone tells me you're not going to see many people on this trail, I'm really upset when I see somebody on the trail. If I know it's going to be busy, then it doesn't bother me. It's all about expectations. Yeah. But I can tell you places in Yosemite, there is a trip we used to do in Yosemite that is permitted, um, but it takes you to five high mountain lakes and in the course of five days of backpacking, we saw 14 people, and that included day hikers. Wow. So when you do have a soup bite, since it's just 350 people a day, it's kind of cool because, yes, that's a lot of people still. I mean, in my opinion, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a, a lot of people. Of people yeah. <laughs> um, but it's cool because, like, everybody feels really lucky to be there. And it's people who are genuinely appreciative of nature. And I, for me, I like being surrounded by people like that but when I did this trip it was my first time ever backpacking it was my first time camping um uh, and I was 29 and so that's actually why I met you I said please help me please help me understand what I need (laughs) and you guys have gear rentals which Mm -hmm. is huge because most of us when we're starting out with camping and backpacking we have no idea what we need Tell us a little bit about your gear rentals because I couldn't have done it without you. Seriously. So we do rent the the basic needs that you need for a backpacking trip. So most people don't want to drop $1,000 on gear. And and I know you don't have to drop $1,000 gear if you go through Amazon or Walmart or Costco. But you want quality stuff. You want quality. So I would recommend just rent and then decide if you love it and then still drop $1,000 in gear or maybe a little bit less. But you, but can you need add to, to it a little at exactly. a time too. And, and you're going to know what you like because you but rented But you can rent gear. a gear package for yourself for around $100. It's amazing. And for the whole trip. For the whole trip. And versus going someplace and getting a $20 pair of trekking poles or a $20 backpack. Because if you don't have somebody to tell you how the pack is supposed to work, how it fits for you, how to pack it, and what it's rated for, you could end up getting yourself a pack that is only supposed to carry 20 pounds and you're trying to throw 40 in it. You can get a pair of trekking poles that are going to collapse on you in the middle of your trip and you you can get a tent that leaks. So you do want to make sure that, yeah, if you don't want to invest in it, just rent it because anyone who rents gear is going to rent you quality gear. Yeah, so I rented from you guys the backpack, the sleeping pad, the tent, the sleeping bag, the trekking poles. Uh, the jet boil. Mm-hmm. The jet boil is the greatest invention of all time. It's uh, an ability to boil water with a little tiny propane yeah. tank. It's awesome. I love that thing. Now, the hike itself, it's 10 miles from 
Was it called Wallapai Hilltop? Yeah, Wallapai Hilltop. I, yeah. I think I'm saying that right. So 10 miles, you start out going down for about mm-hmm. the first mile, and then you're walking through dirt. It's pretty flat. It's actually not a hard hike at all, except that I was an idiot, and I had 40 pounds on my back. My first time backpacking, I packed way too much. But then as you start to get towards um, where the actual tribe members live, there's a lot of sand. That got a little tricky for me. Um, as far as the the difficulty of the hike, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, no matter what you're doing, it's you do have to train. And in our experience for guiding and having, I mean, literally thousands of people on, on our trips, and they're all different people. We had repeat customers, but usually they're from everywhere, all over the country, all over the world. So everyone has different backgrounds. And if you seriously are not prepared for the terrain or climate, even if you live in Phoenix, you really aren't prepared for the climate because most people who live in Phoenix do not live They're outside. They're in air conditioning. You're in air conditioning. You are not acclimated if you're going from an air conditioned car to an air conditioned Correct. house. Correct. <laughs> so you totally. still have to acclimate depending on the time of year. You're not usually walking in sand. You're usually walking on concrete. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared for being on your feet for 10 miles. It's like saying, oh, hey, I'm going to go run a marathon and you're the max you've mm-hmm. ever run is three miles and you do nothing else. Yeah. To train for it, I was doing 14, 15 mile yeah. hikes in the McDowell Snoring Preserve. Yeah. So I would go out there and just wander for and the, the big, entire and day. And really the big difference or thing to know about anything in the backcountry or anything outside, even if you're out hiking in the McDowell Preserve, you are not near immediate help if something happens. Mm-hmm. So regardless of when we see people being plucked off of Camelback, it's still not an easy venture for right. anyone to rescue off of Camelback Mountain. So for Havasupai, I always recommend people be overprepared because if you sprain an ankle, if you get injured, if you run out of water, if your friends run out of water or they're having issues hiking, I don't want to say run out of water, no one should be running out of water, but having issues, you are going to go slower, you are going to be yeah. on your feet longer, and you are going to be using your energy and your resources. So you have to be prepared for more time than you're expecting. And right. if you get it done in the time that you're expecting, then that's a bonus. Yeah, I think I had um, like probably like seven or eight liters of water. I think I had so much water. Um, but a, a kind of a rule for me is I don't really go hiking with less than four liters of water. That's yeah. kind of standard for me. I have my three liter Camelback bladder and like a one liter hydro flask. Mm-hmm. I would rather be overprepared. So maybe I'm not an idiot for having No, water's not the thing you should be. Oh, I had to, I mean, what do you do? You you don't drink it all. You give it to, you usually end up giving it to someone else on the trail anyway, because someone else doesn't have enough. Totally. Or water a plant. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) What's the worst that can happen? The best thing about Havasupai, though, is you can have access to clean water at the campground. Well, that or there's always water purifiers. So yeah, you can which take I less brought with me too. And you have one of those. That's yes. always your backup because water bladders leak, bottles spill. I mean, you can lose your water. Totally, and that's a terrifying thought. But the the campground itself, as far as you know, having that water accessible, having plenty of space. Again, it is permitted, so you know they can plan appropriately for that, and just. The magnificence of that campground. I mean, the creek runs right through it. You have these lush trees everywhere. It really is one of the dreamiest places mm-hmm. you could ever camp. It's it's, ama- it's amazing for being in Arizona, too, because most people don't realize that you're in Arizona. And that's what's fantastic about it's it. It's so beautiful. And there's just so much shade. It's so lush. I, I want to go back. I'm going to check the cancellation page <laughs> today. So... Beyond just have a soup by and beyond just the permits, when it comes to planning a trip, I want to know from your perspective, 
what how you look at it because my thing that drives me kind of crazy and makes me kind of sad at the same time is I get so many people on social media who look at my pictures and they say you're so lucky I wish I could do that you get to do the coolest things and I want to scream you can do them too Mm -hmm. you just have to prepare properly and you have to do the research and you have to make the time for it. So from your perspective, what is the importance of figuring out what you want to do and just going and figuring out how to get it done on Google and phone calls and asking experts? I think you get more out of it when you're the one who plans it. So it's it's, it's really hard to to say in general, just because there's everyone has such a different process of I guess you can say approaching how they do these trips. And I think social media in general has made, it's that instant gratification. I think people look at pictures and they say, oh, I can do this too. Mm -hmm. And they don't always look at what it takes. And we see this all the time because we see these things when people go to places like Fossil Springs, which is now permitted as well Mm -hmm. and has has been pretty much destroyed um, and have a supai. It's just people, they see it, they want to get there, they see other people doing that. And I don't think they connect the dots they just see someone else there and go oh if that person did it I can do it too well not necessarily and in our experience is there's a, there's a disconnect of um, what it takes if you don't have context so for example if I had we used to on our um, reservation forms force people to answer two questions well actually a lot more questions but the two main <laughs> ones that always intrigued me was the first one was they had to rate themselves on a scale one to ten one being a couch potato, 10 being an Olympic athlete, where do they stand? And then I'd ask, and now tell me what you do to be physically, currently do for your physical activity. So it all depends on who you surround yourself with. So if I had a marathoner, they're probably going to, more often than not, they would tell me they're a five and yet they're a triathlete or a marathon runner. Really? Yeah. Not a 10? Because the people they're surrounded with are probably a lot like them, and they may run faster than they do. Oh, that makes sense. So I'm the same way. I've been in exercise science. I've been in the fitness industry for 20 years. I know people who are in a lot better shape than me, so I'm going to probably put myself as a 5'2 because Mm -hmm. of the people I surround myself with. But if I surround myself with people who sit on the couch all day long, and I walk my dog three days a week, I will probably put myself at a seven or eight. That's fascinating. And that's what a lot of people used to do. And so then they, they get themselves into a lot of trouble when they go to um, try to do they something. They also had to agree Instagram. to train. <laughs> Good. And a lot of them did. And a lot of them would train themselves just enough to get stuck at the bottom of Grand Canyon. No. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's, But they get out. It just wasn't fun it's for anybody. Pl- it's planning permit-wise and time-wise, but also planning to get your body it's, in the it's right amount of shape. It's mostly in our experience, um, the hardest part and the most time-consuming part is being physically and mentally prepared to do it. Well, I mean, a hiking half dome, I don't think I could have done that had I not recently started rock climbing a couple mm-hmm. of months ago because of the forearm strength that it took to get up the cables. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could have done it yeah. had I not been using my body in that way. Mm-hmm. For or the and at the very months. least, it's enjoyable. I mean, you have to make it enjoyable because do people go into Grand Canyon or have a supai out of shape? Absolutely happens all the time. Um, do they get out? Absolutely. It's There's not as many rescues as you would think and definitely not in have a supai because um, it's really expensive yeah. <laughs> to get rescued there. But so it's not as common. It's just based on the number of people. So maybe I should say that. But you're not happy. You'll probably never do it again. 
you'll never probably want to go outside again and hike. So you're ruining the chance of having something that is so enjoyable and it could be a life-changing experience in a positive way instead of a negative way. It <laughs> absolutely was, up. for me, a life-changing experience. And I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm so glad that I trained for it and learned how to get the permits and worked with you to learn how to mm-hmm. have the proper gear because it really did change my life. Mm-hmm. It showed me not just this beautiful place, but it showed me that I was capable of doing that. I was capable of being a backpacker and I was carrying everything I needed to survive yeah. for a few days on my back. And I had and it probably in me more. to do that. Yeah, way more. <laughs> I had way more than I actually needed for sure. So you're a business owner and an adventurer. You have a lot of hobbies. How do you find time for your hobbies while running a business? Well, we don't. No. <laughs> um, so it's obviously for us with the store and everything now being the primary um a lot of our time is going into that. But the nice thing without guiding and kind of going back to some of the things you said before, um, you know, especially kind of going back to when you said, well, oh, it's so cool you get to do all that. And that's what a lot of people said to mm-hmm. us when we were guiding. It's like, it is cool until you go to the same place over and over and over again. So the nice thing about the store is now when we go hiking, we can actually go. I don't have to get a 4 a.m. worry about a 4 a.m. phone call from a mm-hmm. guide because something happened or a guest didn't show up or people aren't where they're supposed to be or a 10 p.m. text through our satellite device because somebody still has not made it down. So there's a lot of things that were constantly had to be connected. Whereas now stores closed, we can go do whatever we want and we can go wherever we want to go. Um, it's, I, we have a lot of people who come to our seminars or our store and ask us, oh, next time you go hiking, well, can would you ever take people with you? And not to be a jerk about it, I am a jerk about it. And I say, no, kids have moved out. Time to do my own thing because I don't want to have to worry about other people anymore because I will as soon as I take someone with me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to leave someone in the dust if I have invited them on a trip with me. Now I am sweeping the trail again. Now I am having to use my wilderness first responder um education for other people and it's your time to relax it's my time to, to do my thing and that's mm-hmm. what we do well we will share information we will make sure people have what they need to get out there safely as long as they use the tools we give them properly so we want more people out there but we want more people doing it on their own because you really even have a supai for what it is it's not i consider have a supai car camping 10 miles away from your car you have a lot of amenities there. It you is, do. It is. I mean, a, there's an Indian fry bread hut. Exactly. And, and there and are vault burgers. toilets. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's not. But but what I give it credit for and what I give people credit for for doing it, if they really love the experience, is hopefully it opens the door to them to go and do other things that are mm-hmm. uh, that are more off the beaten path and actually create their own adventure versus doing the adventure that everyone else posts on Facebook or Instagram or any whatever social media. Love that. Where is your favorite destination of all time? So um, it's funny because I was thinking about that. And actually, in this it's not a backpacking destination. So there's two. I love going to New York City. I am. There is a reason I live in Phoenix because I do love the outdoors, but I do love city life. Um, I love New York City. I love going to New York City and actually staying in a VRBO in the Upper West Side, not near all the tourists. It, it's in the point where people think we live there. It's, just, it's really cool. Um, but all-time favorite place was Vietnam. Really? Yeah. So we, I, it was actually work for my dissertation. So we didn't do any backpacking or anything. But anytime you go someplace that you're, 
you put yourself, I am one who likes to be in the culture. I like to do all the things that everyone else isn't doing. And it's still the same type of adventure as going into the wilderness. So in the wilderness, you are alone. You're trying to solve your own problems. Um, same thing when you go to a foreign country. If you're not doing what all the other Westerners are doing, which I don't like to do, you're kind of getting around on your own. And it's fun. So when we went to Vietnam, we if we saw Westerners at a restaurant, we would not go there. <laughs> we would go off the beaten path. And we would eat off out of people's front patios, essentially. Wow. Um, so it just, we would go in back streets where Vietnamese locals will look at us like we're nuts. But You're no one bothers you. And it's the most authentic experience possible. It is. Possible. I had a woman, I mean, this is a true story. We were in Hue and we went through the citadel, through the other part where there's no, I hate saying so, no white people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> and we found we would eat off the street. We'd eat street food and we would eat off these like kind of little food trucks But the food trucks weren't food trucks for tourists. They were food trucks for the other locals. And we'd find some of the best food. And there's one food truck. So Huey has a very all of Vietnam has a very French um, background, but Huey specifically, they love their baguettes. And um, so we found this little truck that had baguettes, and you just pick what you want on it. And, of course, no one's speaking English, so I'm just pointing in the case what I want. And one of the women starts smacking me in the butt, <laughs> laughing. Oh, my gosh. And I'm pretty sure I was eating dog. But I don't care because I didn't know. It was know, an authentic and experience. And it was authentic, and it tasted good. And, you know, what? if I didn't know and it's what they eat, fine. I bet I, I can't imagine why she thought something I was doing was so funny. And that's the only thing I can think of. Interesting, this, this yeah. American that might woman's be it. eating dog. <laughs> Where's your next de destination? I don't know yet. We'd like to go. I'd Honestly, I'd, I'd go back to Vietnam in a heartbeat. Quite honestly, it was the nicest people, one of the best experiences I ever had. So cool. It was absolutely amazing. And the scooter, it's actually adventures. If you've ever watched video on crossing streets in Saigon, the scoot, there, are, there are traffic signals, yeah, but I've no one follows stuff. them. Yeah, so you really just have to figure out the traffic pattern, and you do just walk. And there's scooters flying everywhere. And then if you get onto a sidewalk and you think you're safe on a sidewalk, like here we would be, they ride on the sidewalk too. So there's nothing safe until you get into a building. <laughs> wow. It sounds exciting. It is. All right. Well, Debbie, thank you so much. Don't forget, you can go check out Just Roughing It for buying gear, renting gear, and all of their classes that are going to help you learn more about adventuring, be ready to handle anything outdoors, and do it in a way where you're respecting nature. Debbie, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope hearing from Debbie has you ready for not just Havasupai, but any adventure that you've been putting off. And I hope the next time you see a picture of a place you want to visit, you don't just think, I'd love to do that, but I never could, and keep on scrolling. I want you to give yourself the gift of making your joy a priority. And if you need a little help, I am one direct message away on social media. You can follow me on Instagram at Kristen Keo and check out my blog herewithher.com. Thank you to my producer, Jeremy Isaac, and to the Social Television Network for giving us the gear and studio to record this podcast for you. Please leave a review if you loved what you heard and found it helpful. Thank you for being here with her. <laughs>